Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 97 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here along with Kurt Mortensen. I'm uh, back from my trip in Puerto Rico. I know Kurt has been uh, boating his brains out, wakeboarding and wrecking and having to go see the chiropractor. How's it going, man? (laughs) My shoulder is a little sore now that you bring that up, but uh, hey, happy birthday, America. A little belated, 4th of July, great stuff, good food, good people, good boating, good weather. It was awesome all around but i don't think that could put a candle to hanging out on the beaches it was pretty fun yeah it was great we had uh, stayed at the ritz carlton there um, near the san juan airport so it's awesome i gotta ask though did did it exceed expectations or was like meet expectations or was it below expectations because that's something that they try to maintain i would say for the most part they met the expectations yeah Mm. yeah I don't think that's what they want to hear, but that's good honest <laughs> yeah, feedback. Yeah, I, I mean, I was happy, but they didn't blow my mind. Yeah, okay. You know. Tell oh, us what happened. It was great. We sat on the at the pool. It's a great pool, great beach, and one of the mm-hmm. one of the best beaches. I mean, you can go to the isolated stuff if you really want to get after it, but uh, we weren't really interested in that. We we're pretty lazy, Kurt. I mean, shamefully lazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal of vacation. Yeah. That's a challenge with going on a cruise is that every day it's a new port. you got to get going. You go, go, go. You never really relax yeah. and be lazy. That's the nice thing about an island. You're there. You're stuck. You're just doing what you want to do on your own time schedule. So there's pros and cons, but it's easier to be lazy. Yep, that's island. what we do. We like to just go and, and veg out. And th- that first morning, it was great. We woke up, and I said, what time is it? She said, I, I don't know. And I said, do we care? No, we don't care. <laughs> it's a great feeling to just not know and not care what time it is. It's, it's pretty awesome. So we it's where you follow your instincts. Oh, hungry. Oh, thirsty. Oh, I need. It's exactly sun. what we did. Oh. Yeah, just no. Oh, it's about time to eat. Don't care what time it is. Uh, Could well, be like two forty-five in the afternoon or whatever. So we ate lots of really great Puerto Rican food. I lived in the Caribbean for a while, so I like their food and. You know, a lot of plantains and seafood and rice and beans type of things. And then we did it. You know, we went over to Ruth's Chris, of course. Did our, of our course. usual. Went to Old San Juan. Got your ribeye. I've did been going filet lately. I've been adventure? more of a filet guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So Old San Juan is pretty cool. The history there with the forts and all the ridiculousness. And uh, it kind of amazed me that uh, countries would just blatantly attack each other. All these stories. Of, you know, the... <laughs> Really, that happened? Is that our history? (laughs) You know, hey, the British wanted it, so they came and shot cannonballs at us for a few weeks and then ran away, and just people kept doing it. Pretty cool fort. Got some awesome pictures. It is. It is fascinating. It's interesting. It's still there. How it was built so well. That's a cool part of the city. Pretty amazing. We went to the rainforest, El Yunque Rainforest. On a clear day, you can see clear out to the Virgin Islands uh, from the top of El Yunque. Lots of waterfalls and iguanas and a great hike that uh, we went through so and then the rest of the time was eating monkeys. food and sleeping and sitting at the pool it's great uh, say, did you see any monkeys in the no rainforest? i don't think they have monkeys i think they killed them actually yeah <laughs> well, they ate them all up right a little fried, fried monkey, monkey. <laughs> never had it <laughs> never had it 
I've developed a fear of monkeys over the years going to these rainforests like Costa Rica and Indonesia. They can get mean and aggressive and have no fear. I'm admitting my fears to the public here, but yeah, they, I, it's one that I've learned. I will agree, but wow. What's they that? Primophobia? Primate phobia or something? I don't know. I don't monkolobia phobia. They they're pretty <laughs> freaky. You think, oh, they're gonna crawl up on my shoulder and eat a banana and be adorable. We saw a documentary on chimpanzees in Africa once. I'd be walking around with a twelve gauge wherever I went down there. Those things are insane. Yeah, they can be really yeah. aggressive. No monkeys. A lot of frogs. They have a tree frog down in Puerto Rico that when it uh, does its ribbit thing, it actually sounds like it's singing, kind of like a bird at night. And those are really cool. And so. And, you know, if you go into the Eastern Caribbean, if you go into St. Thomas or Puerto Rico, the cool thing is, is you're sitting out at the pool, just kind of lounging around, reading a book or whatever, and you'll see a just big giant iguana crawl right out of the bushes, walk right up next to your, mm-hmm. your chair and go sit by the pool, hang around, go back in the bushes. It's just, it's fun. I like it. It's nice. But so all our listeners know the word of the day. So, you know, I just looked it up. Pithocosophobia is the fear of <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Now you feel smart. Like, well, do you suffer from, from pithocosophobia? Yeah. yeah, use that, listeners. <laughs> you can turn this off right now. You learned something. So you're yeah, and you know what? They probably already have turned us off. We're just talking <laughs> to ourselves now. So say whatever you want, Kurt. <laughs> right. There we go. We offended, we offended all the monkey lovers, so we're good there. <laughs> didn't, didn't know we'd ever get there, but we... We just have a tendency to get there. So, Well, great. That's what's going on. I want to remind everybody, listen to the podcast, subscribe via iTunes. You can open iTunes on your computer, your phone, your iPad, whatever you're using, and just type in Maximize Your Influence in the search bar, and you'll see our podcast come up. It's the one with the graphic of the two people shaking hands, obviously having a very successful negotiation because they listened to the podcast. Obviously. Obviously, we are on Stitcher Radio and TuneIn as well. You can check us there as well as the Windows Marketplace. If you're old school, if you're really old school, you don't even listen to podcasts. But if you're semi-old school, you're going to go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And that's where you can scroll down and see a list of all of our recent podcasts, read the blog entries, and uh, click on the links to the various geeky articles that Kurt loves to do here on the show. And also, because we haven't done a shameless plug in a while, need to remind you to check out universityofpersuasion.com. Kurt, tell them what they've won. They have won something that is more valuable than a Honda Civic, just so everybody knows. There's free areas. There's membership areas. One of the areas is a 52-week massive influence persuasion mindset course that you go through that I promise you, I guarantee you'll see a huge difference, not only in your attitude, but in your income and your ability to persuade and influence. It's mapped out for you. For those you just want to go and figure out what you need right here, right now, your problems right now, you can search it. You can find different articles. There's videos. There's audios. There's a download of the month. More than we can ever say on this podcast. Check it out at Persuasion University. There you go. And if you don't know why we say it's the less than a cost of the Honda Civic, you've got some episodes to catch up on. Yes, 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 you do. All right. Great. Thanks for the reminder, Kurt. Why don't we cue up the Urkel? Go Urkel. That's our lovely Steve Urkel sound, which means Kurt is incoming with one of his geeky articles he reads from these bizarre uh, journals of psychology and persuasion. This one is from the National Journal of Underwater Basket Weaving Professionals. Is it? (laughs) Well, actually, I'm shifting gears this time. I decided to go kind of normal to a a blog. blog. (laughs) And so this wasn't even in a scientific journal. So so we're going to... 
give a shout out to Helen Nieves, who talked about effective versus ineffective communication. Because we harp on this podcast that you've got to persuade others how they want to be persuaded and how you communicate and how you talk to people is important. And we have to know that we have different personality styles. And she talks about how we're social beings, that there's different styles of communication and which one's more effective and not effective. So she talks about the passive style, which she says is ineffective and is designed to avoid conflict. This type of person feels that their wishes, their needs, their opinions and desires are not important. And that is their thing. They're not important. Why speak up? Why try? Why do what I can't? They're very passive. Very difficult to talk to that type of person. That type of person is not that persuasive because they really don't assert themselves very much. Then she talks about the aggressive person, which is the opposite of passive. And she says people with this style try to get others to submit to them. They want to feel powerful and in control. And their goal is to intimidate she says this style is ineffective for achieving goals in the long run. Now, short term, you might get some things, but long run, it does not work out. And she says that this person, this type of intimidation, will backfire on you. Then she talks about the our favorite, the passive-aggressive yes. person, yes. right? A combination of the two. And that's where you get kind of get the sarcasm or the joking but it has a little kernel of truth she talks about it that's kind of embedded in the message where they try to play it off as joking, but it's really true. It's what they really mean. They're passive because a person's opinions, wants, and needs are not shared directly. They are hidden a lot of times. You have to figure out what's going on. And she says an example of a passive-aggressive style or undermining coworkers or saying something bad to the boss or doing a chore badly in order for someone else to take it over, that sort of thing. And that's obviously not a good style, very difficult to work with. Then she talks about the assertive style. Uh, the assertive style recognizes that you're in charge of your own behavior. It also recognizes that other people are in charge of their own behavior. And she likes that. She says, we respect the feelings and opinions of others without doing what they demand. So she says, that type of style, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I value your relationship. I can't take on more work right now, or I understand you've had a hard time working with them. However, this needs to be done by next week. So she says that assertive style in communication tends to work the best. And I thought that was interesting, A, to look at the different styles, because when you're persuading an influencer or negotiating, you have to adapt to their style. But she says with assertive, you're open, you're going to listen, you're going to listen to their opinion. You might not accept it, but you'll sit down, you won't hide it, you won't be passive aggressive, you won't think that your opinion doesn't matter, but you'll go ahead and, and stand up for what you believe in, for what you want, for what you're trying to sell. And I've said this so many times on the show, and I really believe this. When you look at your product or service or whatever you're trying to persuade people to do, you have a moral and ethical obligation to persuade people, to sell people. Because if you don't, somebody else that doesn't have morals, that has an inferior product, is going to persuade people, and they're not going to be happy with their purchase. So when you're a little more assertive and you're persuading and you're showing people, yeah, I can solve your problem and I'm the best person to do that, the assertive style works really Good well. Good to know. It might be a little uncomfortable, but it's just better than... Leaving things unsaid, you get that truth out on the table, right? Yeah, get it out. Someone's yeah, going to persuade yeah. them. Is it going to be you? And do you want the person that doesn't believe in customer service, that product's not very good, to persuade them while you're sitting out saying, well, I could have done a better job. Well, you weren't assertive enough. You didn't get yourself out there. You didn't prove your point. You were not confident enough to where they said, you know what? I'm going to do business. That's happened you. to me before, and it's probably happened to the listeners too, where I had a prospect that I thought I was going to sell something to or be able to negotiate something with. and Things stalled and you kind of lose touch with them. What happened? Where did they go? And then you find out later they went with a really lame option. 
just something that's late. You're going, why would you do that? I could have told you 70 million reasons to not do that. You shouldn't do that, say that, but you, you could have. And it's because you weren't assertive enough. You weren't there to pounce and get the deal. It, it does require a little bit of that killer instinct to make the deal happen. You created the itch. They found somebody else to scratch it. It happens time and time again. You've got to take yep, it all the way through. You're a great lead. You're a great appointment setter for your competition, right? <laughs> there you go. Your competition's going to send you a Christmas present because they're appreciating yeah, all yep. the business. Thanks for the layup, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we're going to get to um, our guest interview, actually, here in just a minute. But first of all, I need you to cue up the Homer. I've got a bone to pick. Oh, our favorite. Homer, give it to us. Don't, don't, don't. There's Homer. So I've been going off about the trip to Puerto Rico, which I believe was fantastic. And we talked earlier I stayed at the Ritz-Carlton in Puerto Rico, and they did a pretty good job. I was uh, generally uh, pretty happy. But the reason I was there was to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of my wife and I. And she has been dropping hints for years whenever we go somewhere. Oh, wow, I'd really like a private candlelit dinner on the beach. She watches too much of The Bachelor. I hate The Bachelor. Uh, yes. just, I mean, if you want to give yourself an aneurysm, guys, watch The Bachelor. It'll do the trick, Okay. That's all I got to say. Bachelor's not the blunder. It could be. So she wants to do this, and I'm thinking, okay, well, we took her on the anniversary to Puerto Rico. Let's get some serious points here, and let's make this happen. So I contacted the hotel, and it was a little bit of a struggle, but I got through to the right person. They said, yeah, we do that sort of thing. It's X amount of dollars, and here's how it goes. And it was a lot of money, <laughs> okay? It was more than I've ever spent for dinner for two in my entire life, easily. But it's a 10-year anniversary, so I decided we're going to make this happen. We go out there. It was uh, last Friday, uh, a couple Fridays ago, whenever I was there. It's all blur now. We go out on the beach, and there it is, a nice table, every set up, set up with glasses and flowers and, and candles and a little private area of the beach. The waves are probably 20 feet from us, and it's a nice, calm night. A little bit of a breeze. You can smell it, everything in the air. It's just fantastic. Couldn't have written it up better. And they're bringing out uh, a salad and appetizers and some bread and drinks, and right? Fresh-squeezed passion fruit juice. I mean, it's the whole Puerto Rico experience. It's fantastic. And they put on a little bit of romantic music. Guy's got an iPod in the corner plugged into one of those Bose speaker systems. It's got some nice music going on, and the ambiance is there. And after about 20, 30 minutes, we're thinking, this is really great. And the music's playing softly. And all of a sudden, this song stops. And I hear... Would you like to save money on car insurance? <laughs> and it's just, oh, just terrible. And I'm thinking, do you guys really put the free Pandora station on for the private candle at dinner that I paid crazy amount of money for? I got to listen to car insurance ads. You're the Ritz-Carlton. A Pandora subscription is $30 for a year. No commercials. Or how about you burn a CD, right? Mega blunder, guys. Come on. Don't put ads on the private candle at dinner at the beach. I don't want to hear about car insurance or anything else. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. That's the blunder of the week. Yeah, you cut one corner or you delegate the wrong thing. Perfection is no longer perfection, and that's the one thing that you're going to remember. Hopefully you got a good chuckle about it, but that is a, definitely a homer to where it could have been perfect. It could have exceeded your yep. expectations, but now <laughs> you're talking about it. Was, we were sitting there and it came on and I looked at my mom. Are you kidding me? She's all, wow, that's got to be a blunder. I was like, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good when our wives point out blunders. Yep, oh, yep, blunder. That guy's an idiot. Talk about him on the show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
So there it is. There it is. That's the blunder for the week. And everybody, thanks for listening. What we're going to do now is a couple of days ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Brad Harker, who is a persuasion and influence expert like ourselves, who had some great insight into the world of persuasion and influence. And we are going to cut to that interview right now. My pleasure to welcome to the show Brad Harker. Brad is with us uh, on the line. He's a published author, speaker, influence expert, adjunct professor, and consultant. His creativity and passion for problem solving has fueled a robust entrepreneurial background that includes the creation of several companies and more than a quarter billion dollars in sales. Nice work, Brad. His book, The Laws of Influence, Mastering the Art of Sales, Leadership, and Change, has become the platform of his consulting company, FoundersInc.com. And Brad actively consults with professionals and organizations in the disciplines of sales, leadership, and influence. He lives in St. George, Utah with his wife and three children. How are you doing, Brad? I'm good. It's great to be here, Steve. Thanks. Great, great. So we're happy to have you on the show. You've got the book, Laws of Influence. Somebody can go over to Barnes & Noble. I, I think there's a few of those still left. <laughs> or onto Amazon.com. And they can see a ton of books about influence, persuasion, motivation, what makes the laws of influence unique? Uh, it's a good question, and I think probably the most unique aspect of the book is my approach to it. I I started my career in entrepreneurship, and I had a, a landscaping business that I started when I was in high school. And as I transitioned, my next, I guess my first legitimate job where I was working for somebody else was in a sales job. I actually was from Canada. And so there was very few jobs that I could take when I was a student down in the United States. And so I took a sales job because it was an internship through my business program. And I, I just experienced sales without a lot of coaching and without a lot of, I guess I kind of took it from a very natural standpoint. And so I came alive. I loved selling. I just I fell in love with the whole concept of influencing people and helping them see value in a product. And it just started this journey for me that I guess ensued for probably another 20 years where I just really started to dig into what is it that makes people successful in selling and influencing. And as my career evolved to you know, entrepreneurship, uh, raising capital for real estate and other projects, I saw a lot of common elements that I found when I was selling. And as I was training and hiring salespeople, I just started putting this all together. And what I discovered was that Selling and skill in, I guess, mastering sales isn't rehearsing a set of lines and it wasn't mastering five closes that you use every time. It was more instinctual. It was more natural. And the more I adopted that type of strategy when it came to selling or influencing anything, the more successful I was. And I've always had a passion for uh, working with people and influencing others. And so a book writing a book, becoming an author was something that was always uh, in my on my agenda. And so I guess it'd be fair to say that I probably spent, um, you know, 20 years just experiencing sales and influence in my life and, you know, reading from experts and learning from experts and really coming up with my formula for what I felt like anybody could embrace to become successful and become influential. And that, And I guess the big difference is I'm not focusing necessarily on people that are in a sales capacity. Mm -hmm. Although I think the core of my argument is that everything we do is a function of selling. But what is it that you can do personally based on who you are and what's most unique and special about you to truly become um, influential and successful in your life? Okay. Yeah. 
Agreed. It, you're in sales whether you like it or not, yeah. <laughs> right? You've yep. got relationships and kids and spouse and work and whatever it is. You're going to have to persuade and influence other people. Uh, Kurt and I agree with you. We talk a lot on on, a, on the show here about how closing skills, for example, you know, you can't have a couple of canned closing skills with cheesy lines, as you said it. It's much more natural. Canned closing lines are something that people who are new to sales try to use to get comfortable. Yeah. But it, it it's a backfire. It's not going to work. What would you suggest to our listeners is a couple of ways that somebody can make this influence process feel a little bit more natural so that it works better for them? Well, that's actually the, the answer is, is more comfort. Even that question is sometimes scary because it, you know, the natural question is, okay, what do I have to do? Who do I need to become to become more influential or a bit more persuasive in my life? And that's the beautiful thing that I've discovered is that you just need to become more of who you are. Mm-hmm. And we're all unique. And I think we all recognize authenticity when we see it. Yeah. You see somebody that just seems natural in their state, right? In their element. And that's one of the first things that I do with my clients is I take kind of an introspective look at who they are, what's unique, what are some of your gifts, what are some of your natural inclinations and talents, and how can you leverage those to create more influence? Because that authenticity is what, it's fueled by something different, not just a paycheck. It's fueled by innate something, your purpose, your ego. And that's really where people start to become more influential. So rather than trying to become somebody else, I, I could never sell like Zig Ziglar or like any other professional sales example. Mm-hmm. I got to sell like Brad. Mm-hmm. And when I f- discover why, why am I selling in the first place or why am I trying to create influence in this space? And I understand that. And I've got a lot of passion behind, okay, I'm, I'm in this space because I want to make a difference. I want to change people's lives. That's a lot of power in that purpose and why. And then what's unique about me? Because if, I, if I'm authentic and I just deliver me, people are going to resonate with that because they're going to see the passion behind that. That's more powerful than a good pitch. Right. That authenticity is so key. We can smell a lack of authenticity, a lack of sincerity from, from a couple of miles away. Make the salesperson, the influencer, whatever you want to call them, a better version of them and and really bring those strengths out instead of spend all this time working on weaknesses that you're probably never really going to be comfortable with no matter what, right? Yep. And, and you know, I can see how that, you know, there's definitely, that may sound a bit idealistic to say, you'll just be you. Um, just like you said earlier, there's no question that there is, there's a wealth of resources out there to understand the dynamics of the sales process. You know, how do you create rapport with somebody? How can you uh, discover what their needs are? And then how do you create value around those needs? So there's no question that there's great frameworks that we all need to continually study and learn from to become successful. But I guess the best example I have is my first year selling. I had my pitch written out. I mean, word for word, I had Mm -hmm. every possible word that I could use written down and I had memorized this. And I went and knocked on somebody's door. I was trying to sell them a, a security system uh, in Denver, Colorado. And there was just something about it. I couldn't get in any flow and I couldn't create rapport with customers. And I was just getting doors slammed in my face. And so I finally walked up to a door and I just said, you know, I'm going to walk up to this guy's house and I'm going to just ask him a few questions. I'm just curious if this is even a way, worth my time to be out here trying to sell. So I just walked up and I was very casual. I said, hey, listen, I'm new here. I just moved in. I'm, I'm here to sell alarms and I'm just curious about your neighborhood. Have you had any, is there, is there a need for alarms here? And we just had this conversation 
And the level of rapport that was created was so powerful that I was, I realized that that was way better than every pitch I'd given. And so I tried that just a very natural conversational type. And I sold probably within a few minutes of that or a few calls of that. And I realized very quickly that the scripting, the, you know, reading from lines and scripts, just, it kind of takes away the authenticity, just like you said. <laughs> I bet your team leader was pretty conflicted when you dragged in all these sales, but then he found out you went off script. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. there's no question that it's probably nice to have a framework to work from, but proof's in the pudding, I suppose. That's great because it's, yeah, you do need a framework, you need a system, but it has to be a system that works for you. What else from the book or from what Brad Harker brings to the table do you see? I mean, there's lots of, uh, we call them cheesy techniques out there that people teach. What what else are you putting out there that you feel like the average person, What maybe they're selling pharmaceuticals, maybe they're trying to get their kids to go to bed at night, <laughs> right? What, yeah. what else do you see out there that our listeners can benefit from? Um, well, I guess the good example of this, I teach uh, Dixie State University down here in St. George. I was asked to teach the, the sale, the principles of salesmanship course. And I was really conflicted when I, well, I was excited to have the opportunity, but I was conflicted when I discovered and saw the textbook that they were using uh, for the course. And it was a ton of theory, a lot of multiple choice testing. And I, I went to the dean that, that uh, asked me to come in and teach at the, in the adjunct position. And I said, listen, here's how I'd like to do this. I'd like to use my book as the textbook. And I'm going to spend about two thirds of this semester digging into the behind the scenes, kind of the fundamentals of, of influence. And then I want to spend a third of the class talking about sales tactics. And it kind of gives me the, it brings to memory the Karate Kid, the movie, The Karate Kid. You know, he spent so much time sanding the, or painting the fence, sanding the floors, waxing the car, and never really understood why he was working on those techniques yeah. until it came, until it was game time when he lost everything. He was trying to fight Mr. Miyagi and he threw punches at him and he was able to block them using those fundamentals. And so for me, I think one of the things that I really tried to do in my book is to help anybody, sales or otherwise, to see what are the fundamentals? What are the things that I can do or, or maybe perhaps um, model from successful people that will help me be more naturally inclined to influence and sell in my life? And so uh, you know, a few examples of those is our purpose. That's where my book really starts is purpose. You know, if you truly understand, I guess Mark Twain, I'll give it with a quote. Mark Twain said the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Mm -hmm. And there's a statistic that I bring up in the introduction, which is 60% of Americans are unhappy with their jobs. So I think the, the one of the most fundamental things that we can do to truly get ourselves on the right track is to figure out what that track is. What If I could work for free for the rest of my life and I could just enjoy my career, what would I do? And what are my natural talents? Where do I really shine when I'm at work or when I'm at home with my kids? What are the things that really kind of come to the surface as my strengths and talents? And as we start to align with those and bring those kind of to the forefront of what we do and focus our efforts around those, we become more successful. Um, a great example is motivation. I've found that not every sales rep that I've ever hired is motivated by the same things. We try to do company-wide incentives, and they never work. Some people turn on, some people turn off, and it's really hard to be, for it to be predictive. And so I found that everybody has their own unique motivators. And so we spend a lot of time 
trying to build an, a, a sales program around each person and what drives them. And so I think going back, the, the first thing that I would say is purpose. If you can figure out what's your goal, what's your end game, what is this step in the grand scheme of your life and understand that, it creates so much more meaning for why you're doing what you're doing and how to do it better. Um, but see, that's something you don't read in a typical sales book. But it's really what I think defines and sets our success off at the very beginning. And so um, I, I, starting with purpose and understanding wh why you're in the role you're in and how to make yourself the most effective in that is a great building block that I think will drive your success in sales. I agree with you so much there, Brad, because I have people come to me all the time. Hey, what little uh, gimmick can I use to pump my sales up? And we talk to them for a while and you realize you kind of hate your job. <laughs> yeah. And that's a problem because so many of these things that you need to do, like you say, in order to be authentic, it's just not going to be possible when you don't have any passion for what you're doing. You don't like what you're doing. And that's not always what people want to hear is, oh, you want to be better persuader? Well, you better quit your job and <laughs> better yep. go do something that you like to do. But if the purpose is aligned, wow, so many of these other things begin to fall into place, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. After purpose, what do you suggest? Uh, the next section that I focus on is, is social aptitude. And, you know, there, we cannot accomplish anything in our lives without the cooperation of other people. And, and so what are some of the skills you meet, you see those people and they're just magnetic, right? They, everybody flocks to them. They're great at telling stories. And you say, that's not, I could never be that guy or that girl or whoever. And, and we all see that. Um, I experienced this in my career when I realized that I wasn't cut out to be a C-level executive. I was, I, I don't enjoy the management and the processes that a lot of executives crave and love to live by. And so, but when it comes to persuasion and influencing other people, we all have our own style. Some of us are a bit more introverted than others. But what are the, the things that we can do to improve our level of communication, our social aptitude? And a lot of those are perspectives and mindsets. It's understanding the need for cooperation. Um, it's understanding the value of making the person that you're communicating with feel important. And everybody can do that. Um, I think uh, I think it probably originated from, um, let's see, it probably had to win friends and influence people, I think is where it was. I went to a sales course or like a business course when I was a teenager, and they taught us the concept of seeing everybody, and on their forehead was inscribed the letters MMFI, which stands for Make Me Feel Important. And if you could look at everybody you interact with and just take a few minutes to make them feel heard, validated, special, or important, just reach out to them and make them feel special, important. Your conversation is going to be exponentially greater. And that's a great tool that anybody can use. And it's, it's one example that I reference in the book of when you communicate, be a good listener, don't be a good talker. Listen and see what they have to say. And you'll be amazed at how much value you'll discover that you can create for them by just listening. And so many people in sales, you know, they lead with their product or they lead with their title or their experience and hope that it's going to sell the product for them. But if they could just take a few minutes and validate the customer or the, the person they're, they're talking with and ask questions, discover, Hey, what's value? What are they looking for? How do I create value in their life? The sales process becomes easy, natural, so much simpler. In the era that we're in of the, the increasingly skeptical prospect, mm -hmm. I agree with what you're saying. We've got to, We've got to get people, we've got to listen to them. That validates them. It makes them feel important. It is pretty amazing 
they think you told them all sorts of great things when all you did was really listen because <laughs> you yep. kind of scratched that subconscious itch that everybody has. How do you do that, though, when prospects are more and more often crossing their arms and looking at you and saying, tell me something good? And you're thinking, well, you, you got to tell me stuff. I got to listen to you. I got to build rapport. How do we break right. that ice and get permission to have that kind of a conversation with them? That's a great question. One of my favorite, in fact, I gave a training on this yesterday. Um, one of the most powerful tools that we can use is what's called a pattern interrupt. And, uh, you know, rapport is difficult to create. Just like you said, if my arms are folded and I'm giving you all the signs that I have no desire to take my attention from what I was doing, or at least give you any of my time, how do you break into that? And so a pattern interrupt is where you're able to break their state, their, whatever it is that they're focusing on or thinking about. How do you break that for just a second so that they forget what they were focusing on? That's really the only way that we can break in there and create some rapport. So I'll give you an example. When I was, uh, when I was knocking doors my first year, one of the things that I would do is I would ask them a few, I'd ask them five questions at the beginning of every pitch. And there were five qualifying questions that didn't throw them off, but it made them curious. So question-based selling is a great way to kind of create an immediate pattern interrupt where they feel all of a sudden like, I've got to answer these questions. I've got to think about the answers. I'm not listening to some cheesy pitch that I'm just waiting to say no to. I have to actually respond to this guy. And they can be simple questions like, hey, have you lived here for more than a year? Would you say that 50 cars drive by your house on a given day? Um, is that fence over there? Is that your property line? And I was amazed at how disarming those questions became. Mm -hmm. And the next thing that I would do is I would turn around and I would walk off their doorstep. And I was mid-sentence. I was still talking to them. But I turned around and I walked away just to show them in their front yard. I was going to give them kind of a, a demonstration of where I might put a yard sign if I was selling an alarm system. And that process, it only took a couple minutes, but it did. It was so effective at breaking their state and getting them away from whatever they were doing and curious about what I was doing that I had an opportunity to build some rapport in that little moment. And then obviously once you have that state broken once they've uh, once you've going to have their attention um i immediately move into the matching and mirroring so is if he's uh, if he's quick if he's brief if he's to the point he's got his arms folded i fold my arms i start talking a little bit faster i do everything i can to act like him without mimicking him or or you know mocking him of course and it's amazing in those few moments that you have where you've broken their state and you've got their attention how much rapport you can create by just matching and mirroring, trying to just act and respect what, who they are and be like them. And then at that point, you've got an opportunity to really start digging into the questions to create value. Yeah, that's a good answer. Have you ever had somebody uh, call you out on the mirroring and matching? <laughs> no, but uh, I'm sure I have. I, I don't know that I can remember a really uncomfortable experience except for when I've noticed it myself. I, I, I teach this a uh, one of my lectures is I teach about um, creating rapport and I talk a lot about matching and mirroring. And I did this one thing once where I was, I had the class and I had told them a really good story. So I felt like I had created some rapport. I had their, they were engaged and I wanted to demonstrate that if I had my arms by my side, as I was telling the story, if I folded my arms um, and I wanted to watch and see how many people in the classroom folded their arms. And it was so abrupt that how many people immediately folded their arms the moment that I did, yeah. that it, it broke me and I, I lost it. I said, okay, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm testing you guys right now. I was just curious to see how well this actually works. <laughs> and so sometimes when I find myself in rapport with somebody and I felt, see them matching and following me, uh, it did, that throws me off a little bit. So you got to be careful. 
you got a mirror and match, but you got to chill out. It's it's that theme that you were talking about earlier is you have to be authentic. If the prospect looks at you and they can read that, okay, this guy's just going to copy everything I do. He's focused so hard on his steps. Then you lose that mm-hmm. authenticity that we're trying to establish. So probably just some good advice on mirroring matching is do it, but relax, chill out, man, right? So if you can find 10 things that the customer is doing, you can say, okay, I can, I can see 10 behaviors and or things that I could match and or mirror. I'd say, you know, pick two or three of the most obvious or, or the most important ones. Like, are their arms folded or is it, are they talking really fast or really slow? And definitely scale them back 20 to 30%. You don't want to be right in their face um, and talking at the exact same pace and speed that they are. So it's not so much copying them as it's just matching them and kind of pacing them a little bit. Yeah, get that tone and that mood and that feel. You kind of bring yourself into that same neighborhood as they are. You can't be the the hyper excited door-to-door guy when you've got a very reserved analytical person looking at you like you're crazy. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got time for one more. We've talked about a couple of pointers. We've talked about some authenticity. We got into, you know, how do we deal with uh, somebody who just doesn't want to talk? You know, you're breaking that pattern. What would be one more pointer that you could give to the listeners that you feel like really isn't getting out there today? Uh, so I think the probably one of the most important and I think the most misunderstood or the misused tools is dealing with adversity. Any sales environment is going to be somewhat hostile, at least at times. And how do we deal with and how do we um, appropriately understand and utilize the failures and the, the feedback that we get from customers? And so I had a, a habit that I used to go through when I was, um, you know, in any sales environment, if I got a rejection or a no, it was really important to me. Initially, it would affect me quite heavily. I would think, you know, I would immediately doubt my abilities and my product. And I was kind of an emotional basket case when I was in sales initially. And so I developed a few mechanisms to really turn that off or at least package it up. So one thing I would do is I would just have kind of a gesture that I would do if if I was knocking on doors, for example, I had a piece of chalk that I would write on their curb just to know that I'd already knocked on that door. <laughs> and I would write this big, huge X and I would just kind of get out all my anger and any frustrations. <laughs> and the moment I drew that X, it was over. It was. Done. Yeah. And one of the things that I discovered as I kind of as I evolved more into a capacity of training and hiring people is I saw that the people that weren't able to deal with adversity were the ones that usually suffered and eventually um, didn't make it. But the ones that were able to come home at the end of the day and they hadn't been successful or they'd had some defeats and they were able to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I own this today. That was me. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not bad at this, but what can I learn from this? And there's a great phrase, there's no failure, only feedback. So I didn't right. fail today, but, but what can I learn from the people that said no? Where where am I losing my customers on a regular basis? Is there any patterns? And they just were relentless in not blaming themselves, but just trying to own it and then learn from it. And I think reframing failure is a chapter in my book. And I talk a lot about our perception of failure is entirely us and what we've decided that failure means. And so what are some strategies and things that we can do to reframe that so that it doesn't come at an emotional cost to us when we Mm -hmm. don't sell everybody that we talk to? And there's some powerful perspectives that I think we all need to embrace in sales and outside of sales to not emotionally affect ourselves when we don't sell everybody, but to really keep ourselves at that high confidence level, because that's where sales happen. We are 
transparent to our customers. And if they see us confident and have that belief in our abilities, then they buy from us. They trust us. We, they, that builds rapport. So I think uh, the, probably the last thing is focus on the feedback, the, the mistakes, the failures that you are experiencing in your current environment. And how, what can you learn from those? And really take those. Don't let them affect you, but learn from them, grow from them, use them to your advantage. Yeah, that's so important. Most people just don't have the skin for it, do they? They just can't handle the adversity that comes with sales. The wild swings up and swings down, and I'm going to make all these commissions today, and then tomorrow I'm broke. They just, yep. most people can't deal with it. So true. Yeah. Yeah, well, it yeah, definitely requires a thick skin. Those are some great tips, Brad, on how our listeners can uh, become better influencers and better persuaders. I like most of all, I so much agree with at finding your purpose. I think that a lot of these things start to take care of themselves and become a lot easier if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, when we're, we're when we're aligned with our purpose, our odds of success are immeasurably greater. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's just as, as successful as you can be doing something that you're not passionate about, when you get in that alignment, it's amazing what happens. It is. I read I believe it's a Twitter account called Uber Facts where this guy just tweets out weird facts every you know, multiple times every single day. And you think, well, that's kind of interesting, but stupid, sort of, <laughs> right? Yeah. Most people think that about it. Well, he makes like $60,000 a month in advertising revenue because his Twitter following has gone so high, people are just throwing advertising money at him. And what do you know? He found his purpose. He found something that he loves to do that, well, maybe he's not going to make any money do this. Actually, he makes tons of money doing it. Yeah. And it's a, just a good recent example of that. So. Fantastic. Brad, where, where can our listeners learn more about you? Where can they get the book? What do they do now? Um, the next step is visit bradharker.com. And that's my website. On my website, you can buy the book. Um, you can also subscribe. To, I've got a, a really exciting influence course that's going to be coming out in the next couple of months. Uh, it's going to basically take the book to the next level and really walk people through all of the steps that they can go through in their life to become incredibly influential and really maximize what it is that they're doing now. Um, and But you can buy the book. Uh, the, the book is thelawsofinfluence.com, which is also a, the domain to go right to that site on the, on the webpage. But bradharker.com is the next step. Go there, stay tuned, and uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming. Check it out. Brad's got some great stuff for you. Thanks for coming on the show, Brad. Hey, I appreciate it. It's been great, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. So, Kurt, what did you think about what we talked about with Brad? I especially related to finding purpose. It's it's really hard to persuade when not only do you not like the product, but maybe you just are kind of lukewarm. Oh, it's nice. It's okay. But there's got to be some kind of a purpose behind what you're persuading. Otherwise, this is just really hard to do. It's really hard to persuade something that you don't like and believe in. Oh, I agree. When you have that purpose and that passion, that makes a huge difference in your ability to motivate yourself, your ability to transfer that enthusiasm. I've always been a big believer that passion more than anything else, that purpose in your product and believing in your product will sway the hearts and minds with the people that you're talking to, the people you're trying to persuade, more so than any statistic or figure or anything else. When you have that, you're more excited about life, you're motivated, you're passionate, you're purpose, you're, you're just going in that direction and your prospect can sense that and that more than anything else will make a huge difference in your ability to persuade awesome them. thanks for your comments there everybody we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show for the day remember to catch us at maximizeyourinfluence.com and you can always send us your feedback and i'm going to change this email address soon because we're in our never-ending quest to become legit as you know kurt 
So for now, you can catch us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Or if you are tech savvy, apparently so are we. We are on Twitter. InfluenceMax is the handle at Twitter. So at InfluenceMax. That's the best one I could get. Apparently somebody already has Maximize Your Influence. But uh, we're at Influence Max, and we actually are on Facebook as well. I'll put a link to that on the page. We post links to the articles and other blunders and articles and things that we come across through the week that may not necessarily be featured on the show. So it's a great way to interact, get us your comments. But if you have comments, suggestions, insults, send them to us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and we will catch you next week on another episode. Take care, and we'll see you next week. 